Hello and welcome to Allie the Librarian Book Talks. It feels great to be behind the microphone again after a very lengthy hiatus. I actually enrolled in a principal certification program and I did not anticipate the level of commitment that was required. And I know that sounds silly, but I think that sometimes we convince ourselves that we can handle just anything, but this time I actually had to scale back. I finished the program. Let me tell you, it feels great. And I feel so enlightened. I look at schools completely differently now. And um, I'm just so relieved. I don't plan on entering administration anytime soon, but I do love that I have options now. And by the way, Lamar University has a great program, really supportive professors, great content. I highly recommend it. But now that we're back, right, I am so excited to be talking books with you. This is my passion. This is what I love. So while the podcast was paused, my reading was not that would be like asking me to stop eating and that's just not going to happen. I have three books that I'm totally excited to be recommending to you today and if you stay tuned I'll tell you exactly why. The first book I'm recommending today is A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow by Laura Taylor Namey. This book is a Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine Book Club YA pick, and as she usually does, Reese got this one right. A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow is about 320 pages, pretty standard, and published in November of 2020, so fairly new. Kirkus Review says that this book is, and I quote, part romance, part foodie heaven, and the warm atmosphere will make readers want to cook and dance and love, and I completely concur. The author, Laura Taylor Namey, also wrote The Library of Lost Things and When We Were Them. And just to tell you a little bit about the book, we follow our main character, Laila Reyes, whose family owns a panaderia. This is a bakery in Miami, Florida, and this girl has big plans for her life. She's about to graduate. She wants to eventually take over the family panaderia because she has some really mad baking skills, and she also wants to live happily ever after after with her charming Cuban boyfriend. She wants to move in with her best friend and attend the University of Miami. So these are pretty great plans, but they all fall apart when her boyfriend dumps her, when her best friend chooses a different path, and realizing that her life is just not going the way she'd planned, she starts to get a little blue and her parents start worrying about her because she is just falling deeper and deeper into this really blue period and they figure they've got to get her out of Miami. She needs a change of scene and they figure that the best place to send her is Winchester, England. So Lila has an aunt who married an Englishman and they own a bed and breakfast in Winchester, England. Her parents decide to send her there for six months and six or three months. I'm not sure, but one of those. And when she gets there, it's not a huge surprise. She totally hates it. Uh, Lila is a total Miami girl. She is uh, Miami born and bred. And when she gets to Winchester, it's cold. There are no pastelitos, which are the sweetbreads that she makes at her bakery. She's getting homesick and she feels like she's in the pit of despair until she meets Orion. Orion is a young man who delivers tea to her aunt's bed and breakfast. And when he meets Lila, of course, there's a bit of spark and he's determined to be her personal tour guide and really wants to show her the beauty of Winchester because it turns out to be a really beautiful city. What I loved about this book is, well, what I love about books in general that make you feel immersed like you're in another country, you're in another land. This is exactly what that book does. It, it, ha- it makes you travel. 
seriously. And uh, it's very similar to what Anna and the French Kiss did for me. You know, I felt like I was in Paris. This one, you feel like you're in Winchester. Not only do I get the sensation of cool, balmy England, you also get the hot pinks and the Cuban sandwiches of Miami. So that brings me to the food. The food in this book is amazing. So um, Lila eventually starts to give England a chance and she starts to make some friends. And when she does, she wants to show them um, a little bit of her background. So she starts to cook for them. And this is where you start to um, read about the descriptions of the pastelitos de guayaba, citrus roasted pork, arroz con pollo, Cuban coffee. Ugh. And let's not forget the tea. Remember, this is a guide to tea and tomorrow. So Orion is a clerk in a tea shop, and he's trying to find the perfect tea for Lila. So they go through several cups of tea. And in the meantime, you get to learn about chamomile and jasmine tea, Earl Grey with bergamot, and the list goes on. This is what makes the book come alive because the food itself is a character in the story. And it's very reminiscent of With the Fire on High by Elizabeth Acevedo. Now, let's talk about Lila and Orion. Lila is all Miami and she's a bit of a bull in a china shop. She has a very strong personality. She insists on wearing bright colored clothing with flip-flops in the middle of cold, dreary England. Um, remember, she had these big life plans and they were completely destroyed and this destroyed her because they didn't turn out like she intended. So she has some control issues. Her stubborn nature can be annoying, it can be frustrating, but that's why we have Orion. He's good-natured, he's sweet, he's charming, handsome, and that stands up well to Lila's strong-willed personality. So the chemistry's there. The romance is really lovely, respectful, PG, which is very refreshing at times. Um, Lila, Lila's maturity blossoms in this novel, and it was wonderful how our lives, well, to see how our lives take a left turn at times. They don't turn out as we intended. It's a plot twist, if you will. But that doesn't mean that just because our lives aren't going the way we intended, that there isn't something marvelous waiting for us around the corner. And I think this is a, a lesson that Lila needs to learn. So to sum it up, I give this novel four out of five stars. It would be a great novel to recommend to grades seven and up. And you're going to love A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow. The next book I'm recommending is Some Other Now by Sarah Everett. I was sent the advanced reading copy because I moderated my first author panel at TLA's annual conference. Um, Sarah Everett was on the panel and her book was amazing. It was a roller coaster of emotions and um, it just destroyed me. So <laughs> let's talk about this book. It's about 368 pages and it was published in February of 2021. Bookless says, and I quote, from the first page, Everett's assured prose draws draws the reader into a world of sympathetic characters grappling with the first romantic relationships and realistic family struggles. Um, this is absolutely correct. Sarah Everett also wrote Everyone We've Been. And to tell you a little bit about the book, we follow our main character, Jessie Rumsfeld, who since she was small, she's hung out at the, at the house next door with the Coens. And the Coens consist of uh, the mom, who is Mel, and her two boys, Luke and Rowan Cohen. The Cohens have looked after Jesse as if they were part, if she were part of the family. I mean, she is part of the family. Um, 
which was completely welcome to Jesse because, and it was probably a saving grace for her because her own mother, she lies in bed all day. She's pretty much checked out and she's dealing with a few mental health issues. Dad is just trying to take care of mom. Um, so he did, really doesn't have a lot of time with Jesse. And Jesse has, she's really thrived at the Cohen household and she's grown up with them. And her and the youngest son, Rowan, they're, they're besties. Uh, Rowan is very handsome. He's a bad boy. And he's about the same age as, as Jesse. And they're very close. The older brother, Luke, he's also very handsome, but he's very studious. And Jesse, although she's close to him, she's not as close to him as she is with Luke. But they're all a big family. Well, the news comes one day as uh, Jesse's a, she's, you know, everybody's grown up now. They're, they're teenagers. They're about to graduate. And the news comes that Mel has cancer, which is the mom. And Jesse and the family, they're absolutely devastated. At this point in the book, it fasts forward one year. And you really don't know what's happened in between the news of Mel getting cancer and the present day. So everything has changed. Jesse hasn't been at the Coens in over a year. Rowan is gone. He has passed away. And Mel is dying. She's uh, in her last months. Luke is hanging on by a thread and for some reason furious at Jesse. For Mel's sake, and to bring her a little happiness in her final months, Luke asks Jessie to be his pretend girlfriend. And she agrees, hesitantly, but, you know, she loves Mel like a second mother, and she wants to bring her a little happiness, so she accepts being the pretend girlfriend. And she does it very cautiously because things between her and Luke are very tense because for some reason he is furious at her. So the big draw here is the fact that we don't know why Rowan has died and why Jesse is suddenly a pariah in the Cohen family all of a sudden. This book has a really unique way of telling the story in, in that it flashes back and then flashes forward within the chapter, keeping the mystery of the truth behind the tragedy Um of the story, a mystery for the reader. So meanwhile, there's this insane tension between Luke and Jesse, and it kind of like teeter-totters between desire, love, hate, annoyance, but the two are really incredible characters that are exponentially better when they're together. This book has a diverse cast of characters, and it touches upon the topic of mental health and depression. The subject of cancer and dying is always a very difficult story to tell, but Everett does it with grace and intent. I read this in three days and only because I had kids to feed and a house to clean. Otherwise, I would have read it in one sitting. Let me tell you, I laughed, I cried, and I mean ugly cried, and then I laughed again. Um, this book broke me and then it glued my heart back together. The storytelling was beautiful, and I cannot stop recommending this book. It's a must read. So to sum it up, I give this novel five out of five stars and would recommend it to students in Ninth Green It Up. You've got to read Some Other Now by Sarah Everett. My final recommendation is actually a nonfiction book. I believe this may be my first nonfiction recommendation, but I am so excited about it. Today, I'm recommending The Black Friend, 
on Being a Better White Person by Frederick Joseph. Frederick Joseph was a keynote speaker at TLA 2021. And when he spoke, he spoke truth and he just genuinely wants to make the world a better and safer place for all peoples. So his keynote was very inspiring to say the least, but there were two things he said that really stuck with me. And uh, one of them was, if you're not teaching to create progress, what are you teaching for? And two, well, I'll leave that for a little bit later. So I listened to the audiobook format, which was about five hours and nine minutes in length, and Audible released the audiobook in December of 2020. Five hours isn't that long. I got through it pretty quickly, and it's just so spellbinding that you'll get through it really quick because you won't want to stop listening. Jacqueline Woodson, the wonderful, amazing poet, she stated, and I quote, for every white person who ever wanted to do better, inside this book... Frederick Joseph offers you both the tools and the chance. I completely and wholeheartedly agree. So Frederick Joseph is an award-winning marketing professional, and he was on Forbes under 30 list maker for marketing and advertising. He's an activist, and he writes articles on marketing, culture, and politics for several news outlets. And The Black Friend is his first book. Bravo. So to summarize a little bit, um, Frederick begins with his childhood when he is transferred to a large, mostly white high school, and he was confronted with racist comments, microaggressions, stereotyping. As he tells these stories of his youth, he identifies moments where he failed to defend himself. He calls them missed opportunities. His race-related anecdotes are they're all teachable moments in this book. And he also has some really incredible interviews with either an activist or an artist. One of them is Angie Thomas. We all know Angie Thomas, the author of The Hate You Give. And the other is Jamel Hill, who is a sports journalist. And their conversations include topics in cultural appropriation, the power dynamics, uh, black culture, really great conversations, really insightful. And there's some amazing references to pop culture. And he lists a lot of must-watch movies and shows. Uh, he lists, you know, must-listen music and must-reads. At the back of the book, I imagine, but it was at the end of this audiobook, there's an encyclopedia of racism, providing details on historical events and terminology you need to know. This was a really deep and insightful book. Some of his anecdotes had me weeping in the car at the blatant racism Joseph had to endure as a young child. He had, or his, his stories were just so personal, and he laid himself bare for the reader in hopes that we would begin our journey of being an anti-racist. So remember I said there were two things that Frederick Joseph said at the TLA keynote. I already told you one, but here's the other. He said, if black children are old enough to experience racism, then white children are old enough to learn about it. And this is a great learning tool for our young adults. Although the content can be a little heavy, the book is conversational and informal. And most importantly, it forces you to look inward. We all have our own biases, and he just highlights that we have to acknowledge them and change for the better. I loved this book for so many reasons, mostly because the author simply wants us to be better, and we can all be better. So to sum it up, this is a five out of five stars. It would be a wonderful book for a book club selection or an ELA or social studies book study, and I would recommend it to grades nine and up. Mm -hmm. 
hope you enjoyed this episode of Allie the Librarian Book Talks. Remember to give book talks of your own whenever you can. My next guest is one of my lib besties, Karina Quilantan Garza, or you may know her as Key the Librarian. She is a brilliant girl. Our next guest after that will be the next gen librarian, who is Amanda Hunt. I'm a huge fan of hers. If you don't follow her on TikTok, you should. You can connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Just search up Allie the Librarian and let me know what books I've just got to add to my TBR. All right, keep reading those books and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.